Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Episode 18 of Conversations with Oscar Cones features Jim Andrews. Jim Andrews played one year under Coach Adolph Rupp and two years under Coach Joby Hall from 1970 to 1973. In this podcast, you will follow Jim Andrews' journey from West Virginia to Michigan to Ohio and eventually to the University of Kentucky. So how did Jim Andrews end up at Kentucky? Call it luck, call it fate, but call it a good story. We'll hear about that and also the transition from Coach Rupp to Coach Hall. Jim will give us an inside look at what it was like playing for both Rupp and Hall. And Jim has the numbers to back it up. 43 double-doubles for his career as well as shooting. 56% from the field for his career. Jim put up some big numbers, but one of his biggest baskets came at Memorial Coliseum when the Cats beat the team Andrews originally committed to. Andrews once said about the Super Kittens that after they went 22-0 their freshman year, everybody assumed they were going to win the title, but it isn't that easy. Jim has a few more comments that he will share about the Super Kittens with Oscar and We'll hear about his former coaches both at Kentucky and the NBA. You're going to appreciate Jim's perspective from a player about one of the most pivotal times in Kentucky basketball. I'm Bo Robinson, and this is Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Jim Andrews. Jim, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Well, my childhood, uh, we were talking about this some time ago, but uh, I went to uh, – Five different sixth grades. We moved around. Did you pass all five of them? Well, I I hope so. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And it got me into school. Uh, But my dad was in sales, and we did move around uh, quite a bit. And, uh, in fact, uh, if we hadn't moved from West Virginia to Michigan, I may not have played basketball. And I got, I was played a little bit when I was in junior high school. And then when we moved to West Virginia, I kind of got out of it. We lived so far out in the country on a farm. And then eventually when we moved to Michigan, I got interested in it again, got interested in it big time. You have a big family? Not real big. I mean, by 1950 standards, uh, there wasn't 12 of you. There was four of us. And, and uh, of course, uh, marriages and divorces and blended families, we're a little bigger than that. But uh, and I got two, two half-brothers. I got a half-brother and a half-sister as well. Did you play any other sports growing up? Well, I ran track. They wanted me to play football, but at six foot eleven and 210 pounds, I was a – no, I was not going to do that. You weren't going to be <laughs> Willie Colley-Stein. <laughs> no, no, sir. <laughs> uh, when did you first start thinking of – playing major college basketball? When I was up in Michigan, um, I noticed that I was starting to get letters and uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Western Michigan, and then uh, some of the northern 
uh, schools because we were over in uh, western part of Michigan. So we started hearing from Indiana, Notre Dame, and I, all of a sudden I thought, well, I might be interested in this. Didn't know a lot about it because I didn't really follow it that much. But uh, when I got, by the time I'd got to Ohio, uh, there was clearly four to 500 uh, letters that were sent of interest, which was how they did it way back when. So, so you started out in Ohio and made full circle by the time you got back in high school. Absolutely. That's what we did. I was born in Lima, Ohio. Then we moved to West Virginia for part of my childhood, back to Ohio for about five years, and then back to West Virginia, Michigan for two and a half, and then graduated from the school Lima Bath in Ohio. Did you ever come down to Kentucky any time during that period from birth to high school or all your time above here? It was all, all north except for West Virginia. Can you remember the first time you heard – the name University of Kentucky mentioned as it pertained to basketball. Yes, there was two gentlemen, Bob Davidson and Jim Bromagen, were from Kentucky, living in Dayton, Ohio, uh, came up to, to see me. It was the first really strong uh, inkling I had heard about Kentucky. And I don't know if Joe's told you this story or not, but no. when we were, uh, uh, when I was in high school, Joe was on his way to Findlay, Ohio to recruit. And on the way up there, he needed to stop in Lima. It was back when they still pumped the gas. So he's out, and he's talking to the attendant. And he says, you got any ball players around here? And he said, yeah, this kid from Michigan moved in. He said, uh, I think he's averaging 36 points and about 25 rebounds a game. He said, well, are they playing tonight? He said, yeah. He said, they are playing tonight. It was happened to be on a Friday. Joe came over to watch me play. He never did make it to Findlay, and, and I think to this day does not remember what the kid's name was in <laughs> Findlay, Ohio. <laughs> uh, so was Joe the primary recruiter of you? Yes. And uh, at the time, what, what Coach – and I had not had any contact with him. In comes these other two guys, Jim and Bob, and they came to every ball game from then on. Who were they? I mean, were they, they just were just boosters good, or what? They were – just big Wildcat fans, friends of, of coaches. Uh, they were both from Kentucky. Uh, Jim was from over just, I don't know if he was from Morgan County, but around Mount Sterling area. And uh, they just kind of kept their eyes open, which, you know, recruiting today is nothing like what it was back then. Uh, I, I can remember coming in to Memorial Coliseum on a Monday, and there would be maybe 100 or 150 newspapers in a pile. And the first thing those coaches did was sit down and went through all the, the lines of stats to see what players were doing what and see if they had any interest in doing that. And uh, I think that's kind of how the recruiting got done back then. And that was if you had somebody to go by and watch them play and keep contact, and that's what happened. Uh, it, it sort of seems like going back to the 50s, maybe even the late 40s, there would always been a present of Kentuckians in southern Ohio all the way up through Dayton and that they were there. And – and I, I actually have some relatives who were hired up there by the Frigidaire Corporation exactly. in Dayton. Exactly. And so there, there seemed to be, sort of like it is in southern Indiana the same way, in the late 40s when the coal mines started shutting down in eastern Kentucky, uh, a lot of those people started heading north, and basically what they'd do, they'd go to the Ohio River. First time they'd get a job, they sat down and stayed there, and it started out in places like Dayton, uh, went on up to Columbus, and it went up to Indiana in the automobile factories. Exactly right. And uh, so all of a sudden you had a pretty good presence of Kentucky fans all over there. Right, and and still do. I mean, if you even go to Cincinnati or Dayton, uh, there's a lot of Kentucky fans there, no question about it. 
So what kind of a success did your high school team have there in? We Ohio? were undefeated. Um, we, we, we went 18 and 0 and, uh, then we got into the tournament and I had an injury, couldn't play. And we wound up getting beat by a point. Um, just one of those things that happened. Uh, we were ranked number two in the state at the time, uh, behind a team called Columbus East that had a guy named Ed Ratliff who paid for him. Did you have a such thing as an official visit or did you just visit schools back then? You know, back then you could really visit as many schools that, that you wanted to as long as you kept your grades up and had your SAT or ACT scores in order to get into school. I wound up making, it seemed like I probably made six or seven of what I would call official visits. I actually made two to Kentucky. Had you not chosen Kentucky, who would have been the winner? Actually, I had chosen Tennessee. <laughs> Tell us the story. <laughs> Ray Mears was a coach at Wittenberg before he went down to Tennessee. And so he knew when I moved into the area and kept, kept track of all the players in that area. And uh, he started recruiting me. And I, I remember him coming in. He, he had this big old firebird, which I thought was just absolutely cool. It was the first time I'd ever been in a real fancy restaurant uh, for, for Lima being fancy. And uh, Coach Mears took us out, and I was just I was just overwhelmed with, you know, his personality and uh, how sincere he was and uh, where I thought the, the team was going. And it was kind of interesting because he actually had a the old 16-millimeter films, and he brought the Kentucky and Tennessee game where uh, Tennessee actually had sped it up and was running a fast break and was bored with Borwinkle, and they just beat Kentucky to death. And I thought, that's how I want to play, up and down the floor. I like that kind of game, scoring a lot of points. Well, after I started being recruited by Kentucky, they actually had me come down for a visit, and I saw the uh, Kentucky-Tennessee game I thought, there's no way that I can play that way. I like the way Kentucky played. But I was looking at some other schools. Were the unicycles that turned you off? No, I don't remember the unicycles at that time. I think that came a little bit later than uh, 1969, I believe. Uh, what, what other schools did you seriously consider? Well, I, I considered UCLA, but um, just kind of being a homeboy, I didn't want to go that far away. Um, Ohio State, uh, my official visit to Ohio State did not go well. Um, I, I, Fred Taylor's arrogance kind of got to me. <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of a given if you lived in Ohio, you're supposed to go to Ohio State if they wanted you. I didn't quite see it that way. They were also recruiting Luke Whitty at the same time. And um, I just felt that it was better that I find a different place. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, I don't remember if Indiana was in the mix or not. Western Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, I really liked Michigan State a lot. As you were being recruited to Kentucky that year, Kentucky was putting uh, or making a little bit of history at the same time, too. In your incoming class, uh, you had Stamper, Panora Wood, and Tom Payne. Although Tom and, did and not Dan get Perry. to play. And, and, Dan and Dan Perry. And Dan Perry, yes. Right. Yeah, Tom was not academically eligible. He had to set out a year, go to school on his own, and get his grades up. That's how it was done back and then. And I think he actually played for an AAU team. Played for Marathon for, for Scotty Basler's team. 
And uh, so w did you feel any of that significance to him being the first African-American basketball player well, here at that time? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I didn't know the complete history and, and how many years that Coach Rupp had actually spent trying to recruit um, uh, other players, uh, players of color. But um, certainly after we were here, we understood it completely. Uh, Tom was uh, – in fact, when Tom signed his letter of intent, and I, they were sending me the Lexington Herald, or it was called the leader at the time, uh, there on the front page was a picture of Tom signing his thing. And I called Coach Hall, and I said, the deal's off. I'm not coming. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, I don't think Tom is going to be eligible anyway. We don't really look for him to, to be here. He said, but even at that, he said, Coach Rupp is supposed to retire next year and I'm going to be the head coach, and I have every intention of playing both of you, even if, if Tom is eligible. And with that, I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. So I changed my mind. And You came here as a freshman. You played freshman games. What was it like to sit on the sidelines during the varsity games? And was that year of, of being red-shirted, so to speak, is that good for the, a kid the first year in college, or would you just rather let them play like they do now? It, it really helped me, and i tell you what was a little much fun, is we had a pretty good ball club ourselves, but everybody was there to see that team play with Hissel and Pratt, and, and uh, <laughs> shoot, we, we, we had full houses, and I don't think there was any other freshman team in the country who played in front of a full house, but they were there because of that, but... It it helped me a great deal because when I came into Kentucky at six foot eleven and two hundred fifteen pounds, it helped me mature a little bit. In fact, uh, uh, probably I was talking to somebody. In fact, I was talking to Larry Stamper about it the other day. Uh, if I could have redshirted one more year, actually had an actual redshirt year, how good that team would have been with Connor and Grevy and Flynn in nineteen seventy four, as opposed to what happened. He said, I think we had a really good chance of winning it all. Your your first year of plays, your sophomore year here, 70-71, uh, it was uh, the one and only, only year that Tom Payne was here. Right. What do you remember most about that season? What I remember is uh, knowing Coach Rupp, and, and you know him well and saw over the years what he would do, June or July he made up who made up his mind who his starting five was going to be. And it was very clear to me that I wasn't going to start the year. So I was very disappointed. Uh, Tom and I used to go at each other pretty hard. And I always felt uh, that I had a lot to contribute and should have played more. But that was not the style that Coach Rupp had. Seldom did he go more than six or seven yeah, mats. Only if somebody was in foul trouble or if somebody was sick. Um, I remember one ball game on the road. We were playing Alabama, and Tom was very ill. And – I got to start, scored 14 points in the first half, and then Tom started feeling better in the second <laughs> half, and I didn't get to play anymore, and, and that was disappointing. Well, your first year, you only played 306 minutes. Right. And to compare that with your uh, junior and senior years, you were playing basically 1,000 minutes. Uh, you, um, you averaged 6.5 points, had 156 points. Uh, your second year, which was eight offs last year. Right. What do you remember most about that? What I remember, it was one giant farewell tour. 
there were so many schools that had built facilities. West Virginia, for example, had built a facility, and they wanted us to come in and kind of dedicate those places, the uh, uh, memorial. There's just several of those. And, of course, they always wanted him to speak when we were there. So I, I just remembered that, and, and uh, we had a good team. We had a really good team. Coach Rupp was making it very clear that he really didn't want to retire, that he wanted to stay on. But as I understood how things happened down the road, and I wasn't involved, obviously, in that process, uh, that that wasn't going to happen. Well, your, your your second year or your third year, your second year of playing, you went 21-7. and seven. Uh, You ended up beating Marquette, and that was sort of a payback for Coach Rupp because he didn't like Al McGuire at all. That's right. Uh, you beat Marquette 85-69 to 69 in the regional in – Dayton, Ohio. It was in Dayton, Ohio. And then you lost to Florida State, 73-54. A little bit ironic because the number thing, they were Hugh Durham from Kentucky was her coach at that time. Right. You and I have talked about that ball game several times. He comes yes. to the Children's Charity every year, and we always get together and talk about And we've talked about that game a number of times. And he said after studying the game film, he knew our weakness was uh, uh, defensively was at the point guard. He said if I could get Otto Petty to get past the, the point – he said, then I could kick it to the corners or kick it to the middle. He, he was going to put a lot of stress on Kentucky, and it did. And I think Petty was from Kentucky. He, Otto Petty. As was, was King. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you said it was a farewell tour everywhere, but what was it like the day of the game leading up to the game and then immediately after when you're in the locker room and that's the last game for Adolph Rupp? You know, the last game was, of course, when we, we, we got beat by – Western Kentucky down in Georgia and uh, we came back home uh, they were playing a kind of the farewell thing was the rainy night in Georgia and uh, you know that was this freshman team was going to be coming in and and going to be the next you know kind of things but I remember us on a on a regular basis playing that freshman team and coach Rupp was not going to let us ever lose any kind of a scrimmage and the closest they ever got is I think we were playing a regular scrimmage and got within a point or two. And when we got up one point, coach coach said, "That's it, scrimmage is over." He didn't want to. <laughs> he wasn't going to lose to anybody. You had some big big games both your junior and senior year. You had six games of thirty or more points, and each of those you just didn't get points. You had uh, double digits in rebounding. Well, I and I don't know. Where I stand on this, but uh, I have heard it on ESPN and a couple other places, but uh, I may have been one of the last players to average double-doubles uh, for Kentucky, or, or at least I had that string going on of, of like 10 or 11 in a row. Your one game that uh, everybody remembers, which was December 16th of your senior year, you were playing Oregon in the UKIT championship. You had 33 points and 19 rebounds. 13 of 20 from the field, 7 7 from the free throw line. And look at your statue, you, you're pretty good shooting the free throw. Wasn't bad. I mean, you know, compared to today, it was great. <laughs> Some of these kids today, you see them shooting 65%, and you go, wow. Uh, I don't know if there's just not any pride in it or what, but I took a lot of pride in wanting to make my free throws. I think one of the uh, records that you held for many years, even if you may even be on, on, owning it today, but in 73, you had 10 straight games with double-digit rebounding. Right. 
Right. I think for you to go back, you'd have to go back to Issel. Uh, I think Issel had a, had more than that, but I think I'm probably the last player modern ways to do that. So in in the seventy in the seventy two season, Rupp leaves, and now you've got the transformation from the Rupp era to the Joe B. Hall era. It was one of the more difficult things I've ever been through, and I don't know how much Coach Hall has talked to you about it. But I can tell you, he went out of his way to accommodate Coach Rupp, let Coach Rupp keep his office. Coach Hall built his own office in another part of Memorial and uh, invited Coach to practices whenever he was in town or wanted to come and, and tried to be a part. But, you know, Coach, Coach Rupp still had his post-game show. And Coach Hall would have his show, and then Coach Rupp would come on. He goes, you know, if I'd had this team, we'd have won by 30 points, not 20. <laughs> so there was a lot of pressure on Coach Hall. There was no question. And uh, I think the pressure in times, I could remember him uh, exploding in a timeout or maybe during a halftime or after a game that we should have won. And I'd go in to talk to him a day or two later about it, and he, he couldn't remember it, that there was that much intensity and anxiety in that job that first year. Given what happened the following year when Kentucky went 13-13, and 13, and, and Joby said on theirs, he missed you more than anybody else because if they'd had a center on that 74 team, right. you know, that could have played, that he thought it could have gone a long, long way. Uh, don't, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and I can remember uh, I was living in, in Italy, and I would listen. It was interesting because the Armed Forces Network broadcaster – was Kayward Lefford. It didn't matter what game he was calling, he called all the games. So I got to listen to a lot of the Kentucky ball games, and I remember it was going real, really, really badly, and they had lost five or six games. They had a losing record going. And I remember, of course, practice was always at 3 o'clock, and I kind of did the calculation, got on the phone, and I called Coach Hall during practice and tried to tell him, you know, you're going to get by this. Don't give up stay with it, and uh, whether he remembers that or not, I don't know, but uh, hopefully he does. But uh, I just wanted him to know I was really supporting him from some 3,000 miles away. Your senior year, your team struggled from time to time. How much of that was a result of the conditions and an environment going from one to the other? I don't think a lot of it was that. I think it was more a case of we had a very young team. Uh, I was a senior. We had Connor and Flynn and Grevy and all those. Those were all sophomores, equivalent to being freshmen today. And I, I think we just struggled in because they had already played with Coach Hall and they had his system and understood him because they had played. He was the freshman coach. And Coach Hall was trying to incorporate what Coach Rupp, he didn't want to totally change everything. He wanted to put his touches on it. They had to learn that system, and it wasn't what they had been running uh, before. So to try to incorporate everything and to get us to go, it was probably the last 10 ball games. In fact, I think if you look at that, we lost, we won 10 ball games in a row. Well, it was actually nine. I was going to get to that point right now. It, it got to a point there, you, you'd lost to Vanderbilt, I think, in somewhere in, I want to say, mid-January. And then you went on a nine-game winning streak. Well, and I remember after that ball game and losing it, coming in, and we didn't know this, but all of the ventilation systems in Memorial Coliseum are connected. 
and we didn't know everything that we said in that locker room was heard in the coach's locker room. (laughs) (laughs) And I had made a statement about it being over, that we were going to have a tough time or something to that, that, that kind of a statement that I didn't think we had a chance to win the conference. And at that time, if you don't win the conference, you don't play in the NCAA. That's exactly right. There's no at-large teams. Going down that run, your ninth consecutive win came on senior day, last regular season game of the year against Tennessee. That's right. You lose that game, you don't make the tournament, you follow that up next year with a 13-13 year, it's not going to look good for Joe B. Hall. No, not good at all. Not good at all. But you won that game. We did. And when fans like to say today, and I remember that game because I was there on press row, they stormed the court. <laughs> and you guys carried him off your shoulders. Right. Yeah, that was that was that was a game we had to have, and we knew it going in. We had already lost to Tennessee earlier in the year, and uh, I remember they had a seven-footer Kozlowski that played for him. Was a pretty good player. I, there weren't that many seven-footers uh, that I had to play against uh, in the course of the year. I think Steve Turner was the only other seven-footer in the conference, and he was seven-foot-four for Vandy. And uh, you're absolutely right. Between those two Tennessee teams. Uh, we had to win both of those games at home in order for us to make it. You you get to get the invitation to the Mideast Regional. You go down in Nashville. You play a team that's got uh, a oh. future assistant coach as their head coach, Lake Leonard Kelly. Ham- yeah, and Leonard Hamilton. Leonard uh, Lake Kelly. Right. He was the head coach. And, and Leonard, Leonard was the assistant. assistant coach. That that's is correct. correct. That's right. And uh, you played Austin P. A little free extra time, went to overtime, 106 to 100. Big defensive game. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a guy by the name of Fly Williams. Fly Williams, absolutely. And Fly Williams was a guy that put them on the spot. He was recruited to Austin P. by Leonard Hamilton. Leonard always told me the story that when he met with Joe and was trying to sell him on hiring him as assistant. You know, he said, well, how do you think you can get kids to come here and play that normally wouldn't? He said, Coach, he said, you know how many times Fly Williams had been to the state of Tennessee before he went to school the first day of his freshman year? Joe said no, and he said he'd never been there before. <laughs> uh, you, you you beat Austin P, which was really in a very, very exciting game. Right. Uh, Austin P didn't get the credit they deserved because – Quite frankly, they were Austin P of the OVC, but they could play. But then you lost to Indiana, seventy-two to sixty-five, right. and that was your final game. It was. You know, I still, the last three or four minutes of that ball game, can remember every shot, and in particular, I remember us missing three layups down the stretch within two or three minutes of the ball game, and. I, I still just have – call them nightmares if you want to. But any one of those shots go in and the t- entire game changes. Uh, in fact, I think we, we win the ball game in my mind. So um, it was difficult for us to lose that. Uh, I'd had a uh, two-year uh, rivalry with Steve Downey, 
And uh, in fact, I was talking to a friend the other day. He said, "He said you cost me a dollar in that ball game." He <laughs> said, "I bet somebody a dollar that you'd score more points than Downing, and be darned if you both didn't score 25." <laughs> <laughs> you never got to play in Rupp as a Wildcat, but I do believe you played in one game there. Well, we had the Pan America games, and yes. I got to play against uh, Kevin McHale. And uh, it was a lot of fun. In fact, uh, we had been recruiting, uh, oh, the kid that went to Virginia, seven-footer, Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson, yes. We were recruiting Ralph Sampson. And in that ball game, everybody was very upset because everybody thought he was coming to Kentucky. Oh, I was I was there the night he announced that. I can tell you that story. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Well, I can tell you that there were some people that were pretty upset about it, one of them being Rick Roby. And Rick told me he's, you know, and about that time I weighed about 265. So I had pretty good size. Of course, Rick, you know how big Rick was. Rick says, I tell you what, he said, uh, he said, I am so mad about him not coming to Kentucky. He said, the first time a shot goes up, he said, I want you to block him out and stand him up. And I said, okay, Rick, I'll do that. So I stood him up and Rick hit him so hard that Ralph didn't play the rest of the ball game. It hurt me he hit him so hard. <laughs> Best player you ever played against in college? Wow, that's hard because there were a lot of great players back then. I remember going out and playing – well, we played Michigan State and Kansas and a lot of those uh, really ball good ball players. But just as a, uh, you think about uh, – uh, oh, the kid that was down at Mississippi, Old Miss, uh, Johnny uh, – Newman. Johnny, Newman Johnny Newman was a great offensive basketball player. Really liked him a lot. Steve Downey was a great ball player. George McGinnis at Indiana, when he only played there the two years, but in his sophomore year, was was an excellent ball player. And of course, I got to see Pete Maravich play a couple times. In fact, uh, when I was being recruited, it was one of the recruiting official visits that I made was to watch him play. And I got to watch him play twice uh, as a freshman, which was it was great. But uh, you know, there there are a lot. There were a lot of good ball players I played against uh, over the years. Best team you ever faced. Best coach team I ever played against was probably Indiana. Uh, they they were, uh, and I think it was one of the things that Joe saw that we needed to do uh, <clears throat> was to get on some kind of a weight program, start lifting weights and get bigger and more physical players because that's what Indiana was doing. So if you look at uh, how the game has changed over the years, it started with Coach Hall and, and Bobby Knight in changing the way the players play today. Was there a favorite arena that you liked to play in on the road? On the road. LSU's was a lot of fun just because of, of, of the party atmosphere that they had here. When the people came, it was always – Had they moved – They, moved they were still in the old field house. Yes, okay. And one of the things that was neat about it was that if you remember, it had all that glass in the top, and a lot of those windows were broken out, so there were pigeons everywhere. <laughs> so you had to be careful when you're going down the floor and dribbling the ball that you didn't pick up some big white spot and wind up with it <laughs> on your hand. Toughest place to play on the road? Probably Tennessee. Not as it, a lot of reasons. Uh, that old tartan floor that they had was like like nothing like you'd ever play. It was hard on your legs, hard on your knees. The fans, uh, just miserable uh, of fans that Tennessee had that you, uh, you went down there and you just didn't want to face them. Best game you ever played in? 
your best game? Probably Indiana, the game we lost. Uh, that was a game I knew that if we win that game, and I, I can tell you, Oscar, to this day, I was so looking forward uh, to wanting to play Bill Walton. And I just knew that if I could do that, that it would really put put me on the map and uh, would help my NBA career. career. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get that chance, but I, it wasn't for lack of effort. The one game you'd like to sort of discard from your career? Florida. Uh, we were playing Florida at Florida. And I remember, and, and again, you remember these things. You don't remember some necessarily all the positive things, but you sure remember the bad <laughs> things. And I remember going, a, a guard coming in, and I thought, sure, he was going to pass it. So I didn't give it 100% effort to go up and block the shot. I was kind of expecting him to. And be darned if he didn't throw a big high looper that went in and we lost the ball game. Do you remember what year that was? Uh, it would have been, I believe, our senior year. Senior year. Yeah. Most unusual thing to happen to you while you were at Kentucky, either on the court or off the court? Unusual. Well, I can think of one, but I'm not going to repeat that story. <laughs> You're free to. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, it it uh, w one of them that that what had to do with 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 the fact we were recruiting black players and how difficult. I don't want to say it was unusual. It was really just sad. Uh, the treatment that some of our players received, whether it was Reggie Warford or Tom Payne, uh, that made us, I think, stronger as a team. Uh, we were teammates. We had to respect each other. We expected the fans to do it. But when you were in the South, sometimes that didn't happen. And I don't know if you'd call that unusual or not, but it certainly was certainly – Certainly unusual today. Yeah, certainly unusual today. And I've spoken to a lot of young kids, and uh, I tell them to try to tell them and explain to them what day laws were back when I played and how we overcame that and when that started. And they just look at me like they, they can't believe it, that that happened. But it did. Your biggest thrill during I, your day I, I tell you, biggest thrill is still being uh, recognized. I can go to a Myers or walking, and somebody will walk up to me and say, are you Jim Andrews? And I go, I am. And they just want to say hello. And so I, I get these little thrills all the time. And it's nothing that I live for, but it certainly is appreciated. Let's go through some of the players that you played with here, roomed with, basically were family at the time, still family now. But uh, I'm just going to uh, toss these names out from your senior year because it sort of overlaps. Uh, Kevin Grevy. Grevy was just an incredible ball player. He, he marched to his own drummer. Uh, he listened when he wanted to He listened to and – Sometimes, you know, he did what he wanted to do. He'd listen, and as he said, it would go in this ear and come out this other, and he'd go off and do what he wanted to do. Uh, I can remember one time asking Kevin, uh, I said, Kevin, how would you get to be such a good rebounder? He said, well, when I was in high school, whoever got the rebound got the shot. And he said, if I was going to score, then I had to be the one to get the rebound. Jimmy Dan Connor. Jimmy Dan. Uh, Jimmy Dan was, was, was a good player, was a really, really good player. But Jimmy Dan at that time was very full of Jimmy Dan. And it was very difficult to work with him sometimes, whether it be in practice or in a ball game, because he, he had his way that he wanted to do things. Ronnie Lyons. 
<laughs> the worm. <laughs> we called Ronnie the worm. He he had the quickest release of any ball player I've ever seen. And to this day, and there's a couple players I've seen shoot the ball with side spin. Uh, Briscoe shoots the ball with side spin, but he, he's so inconsistent with it. Ronnie was, was just a great shooter. And if he ever got on a streak, uh, you just wanted to look for him, make sure he got the ball. Mike Flynn. You know, Mike, Mike was a good ball player. Um, liked playing with Mike, but to be honest with you, he may have been better off somewhere else. Why? One day we were in practice, and Mike liked to be in control all the time. And we had a practice, and Mike's out there dribbling, and we're all standing around watching him dribble. Coach all blows the whistle. He said, everybody go get a chair. So we all went and got a chair. and we well, went, What does that mean, getting a chair? You said something? go get a chair, just a chair to sit in. Oh, okay. So we went over to the side, picked up a chair, and we went over, and he said, now I want you to put it in your spot and sit down, and we're going to give Mike the ball. You might as well sit, da- sit down and relax and enjoy this entertainment. He said, because that's all Mike's going to do is dri- dribble the basketball. So Mike never really did, in my mind, again, he's a good ball player, great shooter, great basketball shooter. But – you know, Mike never really, I think, bought into what we were trying to do and into the program. Bob Guyette. Love Bob. Bob just class, smart. He was one of the kids that when you'd come in, you'd get up in the morning, he was up studying. When you'd go to bed at night, he was still studying. In the meantime, he practiced and he went to class. And uh, was 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 somebody that, that, again, you know, he didn't have all the physical – natural athletic ability for as you would expect for a Kentucky guy but uh, really brought a lot of class to the to the team Steve Lockmuller <laughs> Steve big lock <laughs> <laughs> well I, I, what I remember about lock playing was uh, we used to practice in threes we'd get in little threes and we'd run our drills and there's Connor and there was big lock and stamper those that was the three in that group we called that the black and blue division <laughs> because there were no rules with those three guys. Larry Stamper. Larry's my buddy. Uh, though we didn't start out that way when I first came to Kentucky, Larry and I did not like each other at all. And I, I, I could sense, uh, <laughs> knowing the both of you, how that might be first impression. And, and, and to see two grown men in the locker room, in the showers, trying to slap each other and slipping and sliding <laughs> – I think we got hurt more falling on the floor in the showers than we did actually trying to hurt each other on the basketball floor. But uh, Larry, Larry and I have got a lot of good stories. Uh, some of them I can tell, some of them I can't uh, in this particular podcast. But but uh, Larry, I'll tell you one time, uh, Larry had been married and uh, was – obviously living off campus and I'm in bed and I hear this knock on the door and he goes, Andrews, get up. And I said, well, what? He said, I can't stand to live with her anymore. So all of a sudden for the rest of the year, I had a roommate. <laughs> Ray Edelman. Oh, Ray's Ray was just a good guy. I, I have, and I've told Ray this, um, I owe a lot of my career to Ray Edelman. And the reason why was uh, there was no secret I wasn't the best defensive player. But what I had to learn how to do was I felt if I could guard a guy like Ray Edelman or any guard for that matter, 
and at least learned how to contain him, that it would help me in my ball game. So every day for at least 15, 20, 30 minutes, Ray Edelman and I would go one-on-one. -on -one. And it helped me immensely learn how to move my feet and how to play position basketball. As Coach Hall would say, he said, I don't care if you can play defense. I just want you to look like you can. G.J. <laughs> Smith. G.J. I tell you, George, I called him George James, which was his given name. But everybody called him G.J. And uh, I used to – G.J. was kind of the, the, the whipping post, if you will. Uh, he was a good guy. He worked hard. Uh, probably if, uh, of course, G.J. passed a few years ago. But uh, I think if you'd ask him, he'd probably be a better baseball player than he would a basketball player. Roger Wood. I don't remember Roger very much, except Roger walking up to me, and he was a freshman, and he says, I need for you to show me some of those moves. And I thought, if you haven't got them now, you're <laughs> – A <laughs> little bit late in the game. A little bit late, that's right. You needed to have them before now. Jerry Hale. Jerry's a good guy. What a what a classy guy, and and he's been a good friend, been one of my best friends for for years. Rick Grutz, Peepers, he we used to call him Peepers because he looked like Wally Clocks Cox. He had those big, thick, bottle-looking glasses he used to wear all the time, and we called him Peepers. David Miller, don't remember a lot about David at all, to be honest with you. I just remember being a dark, thin kid. Kentucky kid that wanted to play Kentucky, and, and that was about it. Reggie Warford. Reggie, you know, Reggie was was just a good guy. And we did all we can. Reggie came in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And I think, I'm not sure what he was thinking at the time, but if you look at where he's evolved and where he's been today, he understands what we were trying to do for him way back when. And, of course, Reggie was one of those that went through a great deal of adversity, uh, being a second-back, you know, scholarship basketball player and going on the road and understanding what that was and how hard that it was. It was very, very difficult going to Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana. No, no question about it. No question. Let's get to the coaches. I think you were around at least a year with each of these, but uh, – Let's start out with some of the assistants. Uh, T.L. Plain, do you remember him? I remember T.L. Plain just, <laughs> just from the fact that he liked to play horse with us every day. He was a good good shooter. And uh, that's the main thing I remember. He wasn't involved uh, a great deal in, in, in what I would say individual instruction or anything, but I just remember him kind of being a shooting coach. Boyd Grant. Boyd Grant. I don't remember a whole lot about Boyd, to be honest with you. I really don't. Lynn Nance. Well, Lynn wasn't here when I was here. He sh he was on that 72-73 staff with Joe B. Uh, no, I think 73-74 he was okay. here. Okay. What the, the coaches that we had were Dick Parsons and, uh, of course, uh, uh, trying to remember T.L. Plain was there. Uh, Gail Catlett had been in the year before. Well, Jim Hatfield. And Jim Hatfield. And Kenny Trivet. And Kenny Trivet. Yeah. Kenny was a graduate assistant, as was Jim. Dick Parsons. Dick Dick was one of those guys you just loved to be around. He was just always upbeat. He was always positive. Uh, always got a lot out of what he had. And when, when he said something to you, you listened. Gail Catlin. Well, where do I start with Gail? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that when Gail first came in here, 
and Tom Parker was our captain that year. And Gail was stringing the practices out longer than what Coach Rupp had liked. And we were getting into practices that were two and a half to 2.45 and almost approaching three hours. And all of us said, look, this is affecting our conditioning. We're not running like we need to run and get up and down the floor. And so we went to Tom and said, you need to talk to Coach Rupp. And Tom said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So there were two or three of us. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else went in, but we went in and sat down with Coach Rupp and said, Coach, he said, we, we need to be running up and down the floor more than what we are, and, and we're having to stop after every play and get a five-minute explanation of what we're doing. And uh, not surprisingly, that's the last we heard from Gail Catlett for the rest of the year. Coach Rupp brought him in and told him that we needed to calm it down a little bit. And that was going to be it. The other thing was when we were playing Western Kentucky, Gail Catlett had done a scouting report. And uh, one of the things that, that Gail said in the scouting report was that there was they had this kid named Glover, and he wasn't a very good shooter. And he said if he's at the free throw line or somewhere around there, he said just lay off of him and let him shoot because he won't hit it. Well, I think Glover had about 16 points at halftime. And I remember going into the locker room, and Coach, uh, Coach, in fact, what Coach Gale had said was that every one of those baskets he makes, uh, that's on us. That's on the coaches. But I remember at halftime Coach Rupp saying, I think that's enough points on the coaches. Somebody needs to start guarding that. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> you came in under him. You were the last great center ever to play for Coach Adolph Rupp. How do you remember him? You know, I, there were players that I've talked to over the years. You either loved him or hate him, and I was kind of in the middle. Uh, I was always a player. I, had, in high school, had played for four different coaches in high school. And what I learned was it wasn't how the coach was talking to you or how he was saying it. It was what he was saying. And that's what I took away from Coach Rupp is what he had to say. Uh, that I took away from what he wanted us to do. And uh, he was a great motivator. Uh, didn't care about this foot in front of that or a lot of the technique. What he wanted was the ball in the basket and that you played enough defense to keep the other team from scoring so we could. And uh, that's how I remember him in my, my senior year, or my junior year, excuse me, his last year. Hey, uh, Joe Behan. I just I can't say enough about Coach Hall. Uh, when I was recruited, it was under the understanding I was going to play for him for three years. And uh, I was a little disappointed when that didn't happen. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't know him enough or that much about the Kentucky program when I was being recruited. But I believed in what he was telling me and uh, what I felt that it could do for my career because there was no question I wanted to go to the next level. And I felt I had a good chance of doing it. Not that Coach Rupp couldn't have done that as well, but I felt I had a, a really good chance of doing that with Coach Hall. After you got out here of UK, uh, you were drafted by Seattle? I was drafted by Seattle, and I was drafted by the Indianapolis Pacers uh, in the ABA. And as you recall, the, the NBA was in the process of trying to put the AB out of, ABA out of business. And uh, in 1973, 
uh, two things that adversely affected me. One was I went to, I eventually went to Indianapolis and uh, was there. And a week before we were to start the regular season, they went bankrupt. So they waived all the rookies. And uh, so you can effectively say you broke Indianapolis. No, I probably, well, <laughs> my, my, my $25,000 salary and $7,500 bonus probably didn't do it. I think it had more to do with Mel Daniels and Busey and, and some of those guys. But uh, the other thing was um, I was drafted by Seattle and Bill Russell was the coach. And a um, little reluctant to tell you this whole story, but uh, Bill made it very clear that I wasn't welcome. And I wasn't welcome because of my color. And he made it very clear in later years that he was not going to, in fact, when they brought Tom Burleson in, he was, he was so upset they wound up having to fire him and he wound up down in San Diego. But it was very clear that Bill did not want me there so I was left with little alternative but to go overseas and interestingly enough there were about 40 or 45 players all together Tom McMillan um, uh, Steve Hawes a uh, lot of really good ball players that were in the same predicament I was in uh, Bob Morris from Pennsylvania was a great was an all-american uh, and so the whole idea was we were going to ride this out for three or four years. But when you think about it, by the time I rode that out and came back, I'm 25 or 26 years old. I'm an old man. I'm too old to go in because you got the David Thompsons of the world and then a few years later the Michael Jordans and people like that. So uh, I kind of not lamenting the fact that that, that that happened, but it's just a fact, and that's what did happen. And I wasn't the only player that went through that, but uh, it it is what it is. What does Jim Andrews do today? Right now, I'm retired. I'm kind of I'm kind of do, do I need to find what, well, what you're I mean, doing now? <laughs> is there a golf course in the state of Kentucky that you haven't examined over the last? Well, few Well, I've looked at quite a few of them. I've seen a lot of the bunkers over the state, and I can tell you who has good sand in the bunker and who doesn't. Is it true, back in 1972, a young baseball player by the name of Doug Flynn actually posterized you one day? No, not true. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, Doug was on the freshman team when we came in, and, and uh, Doug, Doug likes to tell the story that when he first walked in on, on the, for practice and he was standing there, Larry Stamper turned around and looked at him and said, hey, go get me some water. And Doug's looking around. Now, like, we're talking about Doug Flynn, the Doug, baseball Doug player. Doug Flynn, the baseball player. Doug was The Red Slicks fielder. Yes, sir. And he was on our freshman team and uh, had the last scholarship because there was somebody that was supposed to have signed and didn't. And Coach Rupp had an extra scholarship to give. And he told Larry anyway. He said he, – he, or Larry told him, he said, I need some water. And, of course, Doug's looking around. He said, you're a manager, aren't you? <laughs> Doug said, no, I'm not a manager. <laughs> He said, you go get your own water. <laughs> Speaking of the present and the future, what's your thoughts on the current University of Kentucky basketball program? Well, the program couldn't be in better hands. I, I love what Coach Cal's doing. I hear a lot of people, you know, complain about the fact of the one and dones, but, you know, if he doesn't do it, somebody else will. So if you're – 
goal is to get the best talent and the best players, and your job is to help those players get to the next level, which I've heard him speak about it many, many times. I, I don't know how you can argue with that. Uh, I think what you get caught up in, though, and I think if you sit down and had Coach Cal uh, be honest about it, is that you wind up not being able to recruit the entire team at one time. He did that one year, and you saw what happened to us. We had eight or nine McDonald's All-Americans, and that was a very difficult because you had eight or nine or ten players that had to play. I think he likes a situation of where he could have a seven, eight, sometimes nine-man rotation and no more than that. And uh, But what you, happens to you is you get caught a little short. And I think this year, you, uh, this year in the front court, he's gotten caught a little bit short. He's having to rely on uh, Adebayo uh, a little bit too much. He seems to have kind of hit his stride these last few ball games. But if he could get some additional help in the front court, uh, it's hard to tell how good we could be. How do you want to be remembered? Mm. I want to be able to be remembered as living longer than you did, Oscar. <laughs> Which means to live 100 then? <laughs> At least 100, exactly. No, I, I, I think uh, what, what I've been surprised about in my career is that so many of the accomplishments that I have made 45 years ago are still remembered. So sometimes I look at those or I see uh, a stat quoted on ESPN or the SEC network or something and they quote my name, I, I kind of go, wow, maybe maybe I really was that good. You really were. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jim. You bet, Oscar, anytime. Additional conversations with Oscar Combs can be found at oscarcombs.com. Click on the podcast page, and from there, you'll have access to many more conversations, including Coach Joby Hall, Larry Stamper, Kenny Walker, Jim Host, and Derek Hord. The other way to get conversations is to subscribe via iTunes or the Google Play Store. Search at Wildcat News, subscribe, and each episode will automatically download into your device of choice. That way, you'll never miss an episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs. And to connect with Oscar, it's easy. Just follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson saying thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs. <laughs>